everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Gin and Beer. I am your host, Meg, and this week I am delighted to be joined by Rob from the Beyond Balance podcast. Hi, Rob. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I had to, switch to, my, I had to switch to my podcast voice. And bring it down a bit. <laughs> bring it, I know. Yeah, I probably should do a bit more of that myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on Gin and Beerit. Um, Rob is kind of a friend through Shauna and Adele from the Talk Tales podcast and reached out to him and asked him to come on the show and he agreed. So I've been yeah. looking forward to it ever since. So Rob, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about your own podcast? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, first, thank you for having me. Um, so I I got into the industry, um, I think, gosh, maybe going on um, just over six years now. Um, and uh, after, you know, so I've, I've worked at several places now, um, got my start in just corporate kind of restaurants. And then um, my last job was like more cocktail focused bar program. And unfortunately, due to, due to the pandemic, the bar was forced to close. And so I am fully unemployed. And in the process of the pandemic, um, I really miss the social aspect of bartending, which is, you know, oftentimes people think that the bartending life is just making drinks and, you know, doing really pretty garnishes. But a lot of it is the hospitality aspect and getting to know people who sit in front of you. Um, and at least in my opinion, like the, the better bartenders will make an attempt to get to know you. And um, that way, the next time they, you come in, they already know your drink or they remembered what you drank last time. And um, so that aspect of work, I miss the most. Um, I miss um, talking to different people. And the idea of starting a podcast was one that I had been thinking about for a long time, but I just never really could grasp what I wanted the podcast to be. I mean, there's so many bartending podcasts already. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to say that, you know, they're all the same, but it means everyone is different, you know, but I wanted to stand out or try to stand out a little bit. Um, and also in general, I think the pandemic brought out the podcast and everyone, you know, I think Definitely. We, we saw a rise in people starting their own. And um, so for me, I wanted to, really highlight bartenders and talk to them about the industry, but then also talk to them more about uh, cultural issues and political issues, both in and both in and out of the bar. Mm -hmm. um, this industry is very, um, and I'm, I'm only speaking to Los Angeles. Um, I, I can't speak on behalf of the entire bartending community, mm -hmm. um, but we're pretty vocal in terms of um, our opinions about issues and, I figured the better way to kind of, you know, disseminate those kinds of ideas is to like sit down in front of each other and hash them out, you know, and, you know, oftentimes we lose ourselves in social media and, you know, we, we kind of reshare stories, but there's not a whole lot of nuance and, you know, mm -hmm. not a lot of like really good discussion going on. And that's part of the, you know, that's part of what I miss about bartending too, is kind of just being able to sit down with a peer and just like, shoot the shit, you know, after mm -hmm. work. Definitely. And, um, and so I missed that. And, you know, in the beginning, it, I had a little bit of trepidation because I know that there are conversations that are sort of taboo for certain people or they don't feel comfortable talking about them. And, you know, I have to always answer them in a way where, you know, I, I make it a point to kind of like leave everything open-ended. You know, I try not to insert so much of my opinion about things, although many times I have, um, just to make everyone feel comfortable when they want mm -hmm. to talk about something that they're passionate about. Um, and so far it's been great. Um, I'm in season three right now. Um, I think I've had just about to hit 30 episodes. Um, and yeah, and it's also like long format conversation, you know, which is, which is, you know, it's, it's tough for some people, you know, for some people's attention spans, like people kind of just want that, like really quick, <laughs> what's the buzz? Yeah. Yep. Like, give me the gist of it. And, um, I, I wanted to get away from that. You know, I want to, I want people to sound out their ideas, you know, cause it's in the middle of a conversation where you start to think, Oh, I didn't really think about it that way. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the people who love that, and you know, I've gotten a lot of support from people saying like, this is really great. You know, more people should be having these kinds of conversations. 
And, uh, you know, that inspires me to keep on going, you know? That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. No, I, I think you brought up a lot of really good points. I mean, I think that the pandemic and everyone, you know, being at home has kind of forced everyone to slow down a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like you said, the instant gratification, there's so much that people can go to. There's TikTok and, you know, right. short YouTube videos and everything that you scroll past on Facebook and Instagram that people can go to to consume that kind of fast content basically so that's all the more reason to put out like you said long format conversations and people actually hashing things out and like you said not just resharing an article on Facebook that you probably haven't actually even read all the way through and you know everyone hiding behind their keyboards it is refreshing just to have a real conversation with people so I think that's that's a really nice thing about your show yeah totally and and listen you know I think that's the that's the one thing that you know, and part of why I wanted to talk to you specifically about the Boilermaker is, um, and we can get into that momentarily, is I think that that is fundamentally the drink for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I don't think everyone has caught up to the world of cocktail. Um, frankly, there's a lot of reasons. I think first and foremost, um, price is yes. out of people's range. You know, it's there is a level of you know, for lack of better words, like elitism in that community, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not everyone has $22 to spend on a cocktail. Um, but, you know, the Boilermaker, the beer in a shot, it's pretty accessible to most people. Yeah. And, and it's the, it's the thing that can essentially bring people from different walks of life to the bar, you know, so oftentimes when I get out of work, and, you know, my peers and I want to go out, that was what we drank, you know, mm-hmm. we would drink a Boilermaker. And, you know, when you think about your early days of drinking, you were probably drinking that too. You just didn't know yeah. that it was a Boilermaker, mm-hmm. you know? That's very um, true. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, and just like really quick, I mean, do you want to jump into the the history of that? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, I don't, so <laughs> I was, I was actually, uh, it's funny that you had a, you had Leandro on a couple mm-hmm. of other episodes ago. I was going to say, if you want to do like deep dive history, talk to him. Um, uh, <laughs> I, know. I know he is like a PhD in <laughs> drinks history. His brain he'll, is ridiculous. He'll probably listen to this and be like, listen, Rob, here's five reasons why you're wrong about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment here. Trust me. I, I did a very quick like Wikipedia search, so I'm certainly not going to be fact checking you. <laughs> oh no. Someone, someone please fact check this. But um, yeah, as far, as far as I remember, and this is just from people, who again just bartending 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 lore as it were um most most of bartending history is tends to be very muddy in terms of origins and you know some things are more clear than others um Mm -hmm. from my understanding the the boilermaker um whether or not the term actually came from actual boilermakers like people that would actually work on like um steam engines typically men that were working on these um boilermakers essentially um there's there's definitely mixed opinions about where the term actually came from some people say it dates back to like the mid 1800s um but as it's known it's essentially a beer in a shot um Mm -hmm. and some people say that it's not a boilermaker unless you put the shot in the beer and then drink it that way sort of like like bomb style like uh like a jaeger bomb or something Mm -hmm. like that um, I don't know. I don't know that to be true. Anytime I've ever ordered a Boilermaker, I just drink them side by side. Um, mm-hmm. typically I'll just shoot the shot first and then just like sip on the beer. Um, mm-hmm. or, I mean, it just depends, you know, and, and I think that's the beauty of it. You know, there's no wrong way to drink that. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory. If you have a shot and a beer in front of you, um, it's not complicated. And it's however you like to drink a shot and drink a beer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's been times where, you know, depending on who I'm with, you know, we can slam the beer and slam the shot and then go to the next spot. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if I get out of work and I'm really tired, I can sit with that beer and shot for like the last two hours that that bar is open, Mm -hmm. you know? So definitely, I think there's something really, there's something kind of beautiful about that of just how anyone can approach something like that. Something that's so simple, but will enjoy it completely differently, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I think now, um, the reason I love that so much 
is oftentimes when there are bar guests that come to the bar and say, hey, what do you like to drink? It's my time to kind of say, if you really want to know what I like to drink, this is what I like to drink. I mm-hmm. love drinking a beer in a shot. It's not always the best answer for a guest because that's not what they're asking, you know? But it's they want to be inspired, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's funny, like, you know, I've worked at busy places and when you have that kind of like extra needy guest and they're like, just give me what you like, and I'll put like a you know, shot of something and a beer, and I'm like, this is what I like. I hope you yeah. enjoy it. And they, they give you this look of confusion of just like, really? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I like. You you asked me what I like to drink. So um, I try not to do that, but oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll see who I can get away with, you know, when I do something like that. But yeah, I think where it's morphed now, um, and this is again, the beauty of something so simple that can also be sophisticated, um, is that people have found many different types of pairings, you know, Mm. my, my favorite Boilermaker right now is, and for a while has been like, instead of beer, I substitute it for a cider. Mm-hmm. And instead of like the typical whiskey, um, I drink apple brandy mm-hmm. and have them side by side. Um, that sounds really good. Oh, so good. And, you know, then you can go the more traditional route and have like, you know, a Mexican style beer and like a shot of mezcal or, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, people have gotten so creative with their, you know, with their combinations, um, there's like Amaro shots with, you know, different styles of stouts. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting, but, um, what I like about it again is it's the idea that anyone can have it and anyone can mix it up the way they want. And typically depending on what you order, it's always going to be affordable. You know, Mm -hmm. it's no one's ever ordering like a, a Pappy Van Winkle shot and like a Budweiser, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I've never seen it. Maybe people do, um, but I've typically hilarious. never seen it. It's, it's the, it's the kind of call that when you go to the bar and you say, can I have a Boilermaker? They're giving you the well bourbon and like a lager, you know? Mm-hmm. So unless you're specific about what you want, um, that's typically what you're getting. It's no nonsense. It's no frills. And typically that is one it's easy for the bartender so you're you're likely to garner more respect from your bartender Mm -hmm. when you go out um and two it's it gets the job done you know yeah absolutely yeah and it's really it's just not like you say it's not elitist um you you know no one's sticking their nose up about having a boiler maker um yeah i and i i found that really interesting that you know because i think that Adele said that on talk tales at some point that that that's her go-to drink as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and same kind of thing as you people will ask her, you know, what's your drink? And they might be a little bit disappointed to hear that it's not like a Ramos gin fizz or something like that. (laughs) Um, but it makes sense that bartenders that, you know, if you spend all day kind of slaving over drinks, you want something like you said, that's going to get the job done. Isn't going to be that labor intensive. Also, it's very reliable. You know, you're like, you can mix it up, but you don't really have to worry about the quality of a Boilermaker. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, with cocktails, it's, it's sometimes you just get a really crappy lemon and that can totally change an entire drink <laughs> and stuff like that. So, yeah, right. I can I can totally see why um, it's, a, it's a drink order that I think is always just going to stand the test of time for sure. Right. And here's the thing, too. Like, I know that's it's pretty common for bartenders to, like, when they go out. Um, and this is the one thing that I do find strange is – when bartenders go out specifically to a cocktail bar and they get a beer and a shot, I think that's a little weird because I think that cocktail bars, like you should drink the cocktails, you know? Um, I am not saying that you shouldn't have a, a, you know, a beer and a shot, but I think, you know, if, if your intention is to go out for like a night on the town, like not after work, you know, like Mm -hmm. after work, drink a beer and a shot, like you earned it, you deserve it. You know, you don't, it's like, it's not time to think, you know, it's time to decompress. But I feel like when your intention is to go out to try something new, I, I, I get a little confused when bartenders will still opt for the beer and a shot. You know, um, I understand why. Um, and speaking from someone that absolutely just loves cocktails, um, I, I really, really do. Um, I think the hesitation from getting cocktails is maybe the idea that the cocktail won't be made to their preference. Yeah, um, yeah I, and- I think that's surely a part of it. Yeah. And that's part, you know, listen, like when you, when you've been doing it for a while and you know what you like, 
um, any room for disappointment um, kind of sucks. Like when you get like a bad Negroni mm-hmm. or you get like, yeah. you know, a bad daiquiri, it's like those kind of like fundamental kind of drinks. Um, it sucks. And then it's just like, Oh man, I have to spend $14 on this. And like, I don't even yeah. want to drink it. Um, and so like, I, I totally get it. Um, I find that less and less though, because I feel that more and more places are catching up to the idea of how to make a proper cocktail, mm-hmm. um, proper meaning, you know, balanced and properly yeah. shaken, properly diluted. Um, but again, you know, there's still many places that you can go to and then you see them shaking your Manhattan still or <laughs> adding soda water to your old fashioned. And, yeah. you know, so not everyone has caught up, you know? No, no, definitely not. And yeah, I think that's, I mean, I have always liked cocktails, but got really into them when the pandemic started and making them at home. And mm. as a result, I've become a huge Negroni snob. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> like, it ju- like it just it not not intentionally, but I just sure. like you say, like I have my taste, like I have the way that I like to make it. Mm. Um, and when I go to a cocktail bar or or usually just a nice Italian restaurant, they they usually know what they're doing with a Negroni, um, at mm. least in London. I've I'm not, you know, I'll happily order it and I'm not going to sit there and judge how balanced the Negroni <laughs> is. But like in pubs and stuff, like I just the, the number of times where it's like the the vermouth has clearly been collecting dust behind the bar, you know, for like a year because no one's asked for that. And it's just like, yeah, like you say, I mean, I live in London, so it's going to cost me 13, 14 pounds probably. And if it's yeah. going to be, if it's going to be so much worse than what I can make in my own kitchen, um, I try to avoid that situation. And I think a drink like a boil, Boilermaker, you know, for example, I have this friend, Eddie, who is, um, he's just he knows drinks so well. He's no, he's really into Belgian beers and he knows a lot about wine and pretty much everything. Um, and he always says that if he ever goes into a pub or a bar that he's just really unsure of what the quality is going to be, he always gets a Guinness because he's like, unless they pour it really badly, you know, it's like, it's, you know, there's something wrong with the keg. Basically he's like, a Guinness is, is always going to be reliable. And I feel like that, like, that would be such an easy boilermaker, like a Guinness and a shot of Jameson. Um, And you always know what you're going to get. And, you know, that would just be a pretty solid go-to drink for whenever you walk in somewhere and you don't actually know what the quality is of of the place. Yeah. And to take it even just like a step deeper, and then this is just me like overreaching now. Could be trust issues too, man. Like I have a ton of trust issues. So it's like, you know, the idea of just like, you know, going to a complete stranger and saying, yeah, man, I completely trust you to make me a good drink. I'm not that trusting, you know, No, I'm not anymore. (laughs) So, and, you know, I think that speaks to a better point because especially like when you start making drinks at home and, you know, this is a, the perfect opportunity to start learning about those things, especially when there's so much really good content now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I, I've, I've praised Leandro several times. Um, I used to visit him at Cole's um, and I would tell him like, dude, like your content is some of the best content on YouTube because not only is like, you know, it's like historical information, but it's also just like technique wise. Um, and he's, I think maybe one of three or four actual bartenders that's doing like YouTube videos. Like the rest are like, like home enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just having that perspective too is it gives you better insight in terms of like when to stir, how long to stir. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, like it's, it doesn't, I don't think it takes a lot to learn how to make a drink. Um, but when you make your first drink very well, it's it's pretty life-changing. You're like, oh, man, mm-hmm. I've been making this drink wrong my whole life, and mm-hmm. this is why. And then you find out why. And um, it does make you a little bit of a snob, you know? We're, it does, yeah. We're sort of like, you know, you're going out now, and you're seeing, like, are they measuring that Negroni properly? Like, did they hit that ounce mark perfectly or whatever, you know, whatever your mm-hmm. whatever your ratio is? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure how we got here, but <laughs> I, I think, I think we're speaking to the point of sometimes it's best to not think about cocktails um, so much and just have like the reliable standby of, mm-hmm. you know, like just something as cold and crisp as a beer and then just something like strong and stiff, like, you know, cheap whiskey, you know, mm-hmm. um, or again, like how, how I mentioned earlier, um, any sort of like variation on that now. And I love seeing, mm-hmm. I love seeing menus that have like a, 
a pairing section, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause Roe is very interesting. And I feel like there's, it takes enough thought to put together combinations like that. Cause you can't just put, you know, anything together, you know, like when, when you can see, there's a really cool bar in LA, it's called, um, Everson Royce bar. And they mm-hmm. have like a separate section. I think it's like usually three or four, um, Boilermaker options. Um, and they make sense and they're like, Oh, I could see why they would put those things together. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, gosh, I feel like it's so long winded. <laughs> no, that, no, it's great. And I, th- that's super interesting. I mean, it's not, you uh, like you absolutely can, people do order a beer and a shot in pubs in the UK. Um, I don't really know if people call it a Boilermaker. Um, yeah. I'm sure bartenders would, but, um, it's not like I've never seen pairings and stuff, but it makes absolute sense that you would do that. Um, you know, I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, I definitely drank beer and shots in college, like you said, you know, kind of without realizing it. Um, but I, my go-to would like the first couple of years of college was Irish car bombs. Like that was my, <laughs> and obviously, you know, that's a bomb. So like you said, you're dropping it in there, but it's right. the combination of, you know, Guinness, Bailey's and Jameson. Um, and those are just, you know, mainly because they're all Irish, but they're, they're just, they just go really nicely together. So I can see how pairing beer with shots, that would just be a fun thing to delve into. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually one, um, one of my favorite, um, I guess if you want to call it a Boilermaker or like kind of like a bomb style drink, it's actually, um, it's not my invention. Um, but the idea of, uh, are you familiar with, um, uh, the Stegel grapefruit Rattler? Yes. Yeah. So combining that with a uh, Campari mm. um, and just like a pinch of salt, it's divine. It's oh, that does sound really good. It's so. Can I curse on here? Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> fucking good. Um, it's so fucking good, and it just tastes like just like bitter grapefruit, but you get that effervescence from the Rattler. Mm-hmm. And just like imagine like a hot summer day, and like that's all you want to drink. And yeah. It's, it's divine. I would say that that is probably if I was going to like do like a boiler maker or bomb kind of drink, that would be it. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, and then, you know, the other thing too, um, regarding that, and like, you know, we had mentioned that earlier um, when it comes to boiler makers and like the, you know, like price point and accessibility. um, I think that there was something that sort of happened when cocktail culture took off um that the more thought out the cocktails got um it got like very culinary in a sense you know and Mm -hmm. i think when the focus became that there was a level of hospitality that was sort of going away because the the focus on the cocktail was almost more important Mm -hmm. uh to just making this really beautiful drink and then that became the focus where for a period of time we sort of forgot what we actually do as bartenders, which is be hospitable. Yeah. And, you know, there is, you know, I mean, I, I would say like maybe the past couple of years where people are starting to realize like, oh man, like we went a little bit too far and we sort of neglected the guests in this aspect because there was an aspect where typically cocktail bartenders have this reputation for being like kind of snobby, like especially when someone comes in and orders like a B-52 or something or a mm-hmm. French martini. It's sort of like, this idea like they're like oh we don't do that here you know and yeah it's, yeah and so there's something to be said about that where i think people who typically have just like you know a beer and a shot are often kind of judged too you know or seen as not as sophisticated or not having not being able to have a seat at the table because they're not ordering these like very fanciful drinks mm-hmm. um and i think that speaks a little bit more to kind of how bars have evolved. I don't think dive bars have ever lost that. I think a dive no. bar is for, it's for everyone. Anyone and everyone can go to a dive bar, but not everyone can go to a cocktail bar. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a very important distinction to make because, you know, we talk a lot about accessibility and we want everyone here, but we also have to recognize that not everyone can do it. Not everyone can afford um, that kind of drink, you know? And, um, I think that's why when we wanted to talk about, you know, the subject, I, the reason why the Boilermaker is top of mind for me, it's not just the pairing of the drinks. It's the idea that 
you know, when I think of who I want to sit at my bar, I want everyone to sit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want everyone to feel comfortable um, when they are there. And I don't want them to feel judged for having, you know, this weird pairing of, of you know, shot and beer while the person next to them has, you know, a, a Balvany Bobby Burns cocktail, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is, that, is there like a similar kind of feel over there uh, across the pond? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I think, um, you know, I, I mean, there definitely are dive bars here. And, the, like, I think, you know, obviously the majority of hospitality venues that people go to in the UK, they, it is the pub. Um, yeah. And I think I kind of explained this to Shauna and Adele when they came on my podcast. But, you know, the, everyone goes to the pub, but there are very different kinds of pubs. There, You know, mm. there are pubs that are literally you know they have michelin stars and the food is amazing and they'll have a whole cocktail menu and you can do wine pairings and tasting menus and mm. all of that and then pubs that are really divey and you know you've got the same old man playing like the video poker in the corner you know every single day and stuff like that yeah. um and yeah i do like I, th- I think you put it perfectly that you know when it comes to the uk everyone can go to just the regular you know just a regular when you think pub a- anyone can go to a pub but not, you know, especially in London, like the schnazzy cocktail bars, like, you know, I mean, there are somewhere physically, depending on how you're dressed, you won't even actually be allowed inside, you know, sure. so um, especially ones in like hotels and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that I think you just raised a really nice point about the in- inclusiveness of, right. you know, of the drink. And yeah, I just think um, but it, it is. Yeah, I mean, I'd like in a pub, no one is ever going to turn their nose up at you for ordering a beer in a shop. But if you went into a cocktail bar, um, it's kind of a different story. So yeah, I think, I think there's definitely that, that bit of, of snobbiness here. And that's why I think it's important as people. I mean, obviously I don't work in the hospitality industry, but as an enthusiast, being able to enjoy both and acknowledge that there's value in both. Um, and like you say, if I, you know, if I have people over to my house when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic, um, I want them to be able to feel like they can ask me to make them a Negroni or that they can just grab a beer out of the fridge. You know, you right, want, right. you want everyone to feel like they're included in that. So I totally agree. Of course. And, you know, I think it lends itself to something else too, that, you know, because there is a level of exclusiveness that comes from a cocktail bar. Um, I think it's, it's weird how like there was this like gradual shift in bar culture, you know, um, I, I spoke, I've spoken about this in my podcast with a couple people and, you know, so the catalyst of the podcast too was I didn't like how the cocktail bar was kind of becoming exclusive in terms of regulating what people say in the bar. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes you would go to a bar and sometimes they, they like would have signs that would say like, you know, like no religion, no politics, no this, no that. And, you know, for me, it sort of became that thing where I, I kind of raised an eyebrow to that because like, if not at the bar, then where else, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, without getting hyper-political about this, I saw that as becoming less and less accessible to the working class because, Oftentimes when you would go to a bar, you were there to shoot the shit, you know, you were mm-hmm. there to talk to your, your, your peer. And the beauty of that is that you would find at like the, the better bars you would find, like, especially in downtown, you'd find like businessmen and then you'd find like construction workers too, like mm-hmm. all sitting at the same bar. But when you kind of have these restrictions on what people can talk about, it, it sort of eliminates any sort of idea from people having, you know, just civil dialogue with each other. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, like I understand why again, I understand people have a resistance to people talking about politics or religion, because especially when they're drinking. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But at the same time, it is the bartender's job to maintain level heads across the bar top. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're not supposed to over coddle our guests, you know, like mm-hmm. what we're there for. I mean, essentially, is like we're first off, we're dispensing poison to people, you know, and <laughs> We're just we're just selling it as something else. We're selling yeah. it as you know cocktails and you know very pretty things, you know. But in the scheme of things, like we're there and people are getting intoxicated in front of us, and it's our job to ensure that they make it home safely and that they have a good time. Um, and that is 
I think if you kind of encapsulate it that way and leave it kind of more broad and ambiguous, it's up to you, the bartender, to ensure that if people are having a conversation that might be taboo or controversial, that you're there to regulate it, you know, yeah. that you're there to make sure that they maintain level heads. Um, but when you outright say you can you can sit in this bar, but you can't talk about these things, um, I think that's what has moved people further apart, you know, mm-hmm. because if if you can't talk about those things, then what are people going to be left with? They're going to go on their phones and dive, you know, dive deeper into their own echo chambers, you know, yeah. because they can't talk about it with, you know, the their peer or a stranger, you know. And um, I don't know. I think that there's. I think that more bartenders are catching on. Um, I saw a post um, from someone in New York. Uh, I think the now closed Nightcap Bar in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I think the GM there posted something and this is just in light of everything that's been happening in the U S like there's a huge political divide, but was saying like, you know, essentially, you know, that the divide, um, in this, in, in this country, um, is coming from the fact that people aren't talking to each other anymore, that people are retreating to, you know, their, their comfort zones and the idea of making a bar a place where people can no longer talk to each other is probably making things worse. Um, And again, like sort of that idea is another reason why I wanted to start the podcast is like to remind ourselves that we need to be open to the fact that there are people that are going to come into our bars who we may not agree with. Yeah. Um, And that may be because they wear a weird hat um, and it might be off putting to you. But the the goal is ultimately um, hospitality. And I think that, you know, that is something that I kind of just started noticing across the board when we talk about um, how we treat our guests. The the culture, it definitely has to shift. And I hope that after the pandemic, we start going back to welcoming more people into our bar instead of excluding them, you know. And so, I don't know, I... And maybe this is just like me on my soapbox too, of just like just seeing this kind of happen within the industry of people who are well-intentioned and, and, and making so many efforts to be inclusive, still being exclusive towards, Mm -hmm. you know, people that they disagree with, or maybe people that can't afford to come into their bars. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems like a little bit of a, a contradiction, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think in our current society, and as you said, with the current political divide, I think we as as humanity are just absolutely incapable of being wrong. We just refuse mm. to, you know, we 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 just have this culture that being wrong is the worst thing that you could possibly be, and you should never, you know, admit to it, and never put yourself in a situation where you you know you might be wrong. And I I think that's the root cause for a lot of the problems that we're having is that people don't know how to just be like, Hey, yeah, actually my take on that was, was not right. And thank you for, you know, giving me a perspective that made me realize that, um, you know, I mean, I, I think I am not the only person in this, but I was one of those people when the pandemic started that I was like, it's the flu. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like we're massively overreacting. Like Mm -hmm. I'll be the first person to admit that I was wrong about that. You know, like I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, and, you know, didn't understand the situation. And now I do. And yeah, I was wrong. But it's with the, you know, it's social media and just everything right now makes it so difficult um, and so uncool to admit mm. that. Um, and and as you said, people not speaking to each other um, and just not sharing those perspectives. Because, yeah, I mean, you're like, if you, it, it, yeah, it's it's the echo chamber, like you said, if you're constantly if you're constantly just backing up your own beliefs in, in your head and the the whole idea of cognitive dissonance and you're kind of only consuming news and, um, you know, content that backs up what you already think and you're not ever speaking to people that have a different view than you, then that that's just going to continue. Um, and I think that's exactly how we got into the situation that we're in. 
Totally. And you know, the, the other thing too, and like, just like on a more lighthearted note, like it makes you boring, you know, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. you know, you have to think about it that, that way. Like, you know, when you go to a bar, like the best bartender is relatable to everybody, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so th- that's the thing that struck me as weird that, you know, when, when this political divide grew in America, like after, you know, Trump was elected, it, you know, people retreated to their camps and that's fine, but you know, you you can't be that bartender who just wants to talk to your friends, you know, like, yeah. because then other people who are sitting at the bar feel neglected, you know, yeah. and, and that fucking pisses me off. Like, and I see mm-hmm. it happen all the time, you know, and it's, it's that sort of style of hospitality, air quotes, hospitality, that is inherently wrong, you know, mm-hmm. like, you're supposed to cater to everybody. And, you know, the idea of, only one indicator to people that you like is inherently backwards if mm-hmm. you want to be a professional and you know when you think about the and you know I, I'd love to hear your well, your point of view on this but my my idea of like my caricature of a bartender is just like a people pleaser you know mm-hmm. like they're they know how to make drinks but they you know they're making a drink and they're talking to the couple in front of them. And then like Gary, the regular comes in and like, Hey Gary, I'll be with you in just a minute. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's that, it's like that person who just has that kind of that, that's so grounded, knows how to handle like weird interactions. Mm -hmm. Um, knows how to deescalate and knows how to meet people where they're at, you know, instead of where they want them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I don't know, like since you're not a bartender, like what has been your experience? Like with, when you think of your favorite bartender, what is that person? It, I mean, I think it is pretty much everything that you said. Like, I think, I think bartender, like great bartenders, and you know, I've, there's always the stereotype of bartenders being therapists. But I think great bartenders are just really good listeners. Um, yeah. And you know, I think the bartenders that I've really connected with in the past have been one. They definitely asked me way more questions than. You know, they were they were seeking more from me than they were kind of throwing back at me, if that makes sense. Um, mm. And just, you know, just genuinely interested people. And then, you know, that that then like lends itself to the drinks that they suggested for me and stuff like that. And then you just then you're just having fun. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think. um Yeah, I, th- I think, like you said, they, they are just really great people pleasers and. It's something that, I mean, I'm sure the situation in California is the same, but obviously, uh, well, nothing in the UK is open right now, but when things were open, you couldn't sit at the bar. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're sitting at a table. Um, you know, most bartenders aren't interacting with customers at all. But it's just the servers that are at this point, <clears throat> even right. at cocktail bars. And that has been my absolute least favorite thing mm-hmm. about the pandemic in terms of, you know, the hospitality industry and going out to bars and restaurants. Cause I really used to love just sitting at the bar and chatting to, to bartenders and stuff. And I've had some really nice times in that the, um, the coronavirus pandemic has just made it so that that's just not been possible for practically a year now. And that that's been really right. sad. Yeah, totally. And think about it too. Like, you know, you bring up a really good point of like, I remember when outdoor dining was allowed, like there's a pub right up the street, like that my friend owns and, you know, I was like, oh, I can't wait to go support his business. But the idea of like sitting outside at a table, it's like, oh, I mm-hmm. want to sit at the bar. Like, I don't, I know, I don't, I don't want to sit at a table like with my, with my boys, you know, like mm-hmm. it just seems too formal. Like, yeah. I, I, I want to sit at the bar and like bump elbows with people. And, um, you know, I think that's when you, when you mentioned like, you know, there is like that sort of uh, stereotype that a bartender is a therapist, which is, you know, like you're right in the sense of like, we're there to listen. And, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, I don't romanticize that because I don't think that's true in many instances. I think what more people mean by that is that when you find your bartender, like the bartender that you, you know, their name and like, you Mm -hmm. know, that they know about you, it, they just become like more of a, it's like a barber or like a hairstylist. It's like, they know, they know things about you that your spouse may not know about you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, like, I feel that a lot of people lost that, you know, with the pandemic mm-hmm. because, you know, the idea of the bar being like your third place or, you know, whatever, like that, that is important for a lot of people. And it affected me like, like a lot because, 
so much of the job was the social aspect, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I mean, frankly, I, I hate making drinks, you know, like it's, it's, it's tiring and it, and it hurts, you know, like when you mm-hmm. do it for, you know, so long, like, I love making a really great cocktail, but I'd rather sit down and talk to you and, you know, get to know you and recommend something like there's something that when bartenders are really invested in their job and they really care about their guests, there's a certain kind of joy that you get when you see someone try something for the first time and they're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, I've never had this before. And then just seeing them kind of light up that way because it's like, you did that for them. You yeah. you made them feel something. and You connect those dots, yeah. Yeah, totally. And And for me, I think that comes with, it's not almost inherently just a drink. Sometimes I've sat in front of bartenders who don't know how to make, gosh, a highball, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, a scotch and soda or whatever, anything like that. But their personality is such where like, I would love to sit in front of them all day. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I don't want to romanticize what we do too much, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, um, I think we're sort of saying like the same thing of, I think where I'm mo- more kind of getting at is, I would love it if we, if and when we go back to whatever normal means, mm. um, that the, that bartenders revisit that part of them that that we don't become so exclusive um, to the degree when when someone comes in and maybe they seem like they're from out of town, let's say, um, that we don't give them a weird look, that we welcome mm-hmm. them, you know, that yeah. we welcome them to our house and that we want to meet them where they're at, you know, and that when they order a boiler maker, it's like, cool. Absolutely. I know you're at a cocktail bar, but if this is where you're at and this is what makes you feel comfortable at my bar, then absolutely. I think, I think it is so much about meeting in the middle. Cause that, that was something that I, when, when restaurants and stuff reopened you know, over the summer in the UK, mm-hmm. there was definitely a balancing act. Like it was so important to me to go support, the small businesses in my community um, and, you know, just all the the pubs and and everything. But obviously there's a baseline level of just health um, and safety, you know, things that, that restaurants and pubs had to implement in order to even open um, like Mm. one way systems and tables being, and that stuff is just unavoidable and that's absolutely fine. But Mm. there was, there's definitely a sliding scale from my experience of, you know, bars and restaurants that that adhered to those guidelines but then were just very accommodating to their guests and just wanted to welcome them back with open arms and mm. you know we missed you as much as you missed us and this that and then the, there were summer it was just like you get treated ways as a customer and it's like we are coming trying to support your business and it's right. you're treating us in a way that it's like you don't want us to come back totally. um and I don't even really have any examples off the top of my head of that um And it's, I mean, for the most part, you've more good experiences than bad. But yeah, I just, I hope that, like you say, when things start to really reopen, that we're just all a bit kind of just as like the hospitality industry and then the, you know, consumer, we're all just a bit kinder. And we all have kind of this unspoken acknowledgement of the shit show that we've all been living through. And we're all just a bit um, nicer about it because, yeah, that was a a tough thing um, when things did reopen is just having some bad experiences and just being like, gosh, like we, you know, we are trying to, we are trying to get our money in, in the pockets of the people that need it, but you have to meet us halfway as well. No, totally. And I agree with you. And and I think that some people, you know, there's a, there's bigger dialogue of, you know, the idea that, you know, your, your, your server, your bartender always has to be like very happy or very mm-hmm hospitable that they're allowed to have bad days too and you know but you know for me like I I I grapple so hard with that concept because I feel that that is your job you know unfortunately Mm -hmm. like you know what we do for a living is a luxury you know like for people you know like Mm -hmm. you don't have to go out you don't have to do those things You, you need food water and shelter you know and the restaurant or the bar is something that you make a choice to do and it's expendable in the sense of like you, you use whatever extra money you have to go there to. And I think this is what, what we need to remind ourselves of as bartenders is that 
these people don't have to be there. They don't have to be, they're choosing to be there. And so the idea that you can essentially kind of treat them like shit, um, it's something that I've never, I've never felt comfortable with saying it's okay. Um, I think what's hard is, you know, it goes both ways in the sense of oftentimes I don't think it's fair to treat service staff like shit, you know? And, oh God, no, no. And you know, it's, it's hard because you're almost expected to not be human in that sense. You know, like mm-hmm. you can go to a table, you can go to a guest and they're just fucking rude and they're just mean to you. And then you're expected to go to the next table and just pretend like that didn't hurt you or that didn't yeah. affect you in some way. And so I think that that's, you know, that's something that, you know, like you said, like when, when things kind of resume that we, that kindness goes, um, uh, farther, you know, and when you do see, yeah, exactly. And when you do see like the bartender, the server, like maybe a little bit surlier than they, than you kind of expected, I I think it helps to be nicer, you know, as Mm -hmm. opposed to kind of just being reactive and defensive, Mm -hmm. um, because it's hard, you know, like I've, I've had, I remember I had a, really negative experience at the grocery store one day and you know like again like my emotions and how I wanted to react I was like fuck you dude like what did I do to you yeah um but again like you know I'm more I'm more in the school of thought now just like what's what's going on with them you know and I didn't do anything to them so if I can be nicer like I will I'll try um but it's hard you know it's so especially like now there's no everyone is suffering in a different way where the expectation that people would just be kind or nice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a really big kind of expectation to have of people right now. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I think that's the, you know, fundamentally that, that that's one thing that we are typically good at is, you know, most bartenders are really good at reading the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see someone come in, that's not having a really good day, you kind of leave them alone for a little while until they mm-hmm. want to open up to you, you know, or maybe, I mean, whatever, like whatever your style of hospitality is. Like sometimes for me, it's um, offering a paper drink or, mm-hmm. you know, just kindly just being a, like a, a little bit more gingerly with them. Um, but again, it's like the idea of just like, you're not a robot, you know, you're not just treating everyone with your script. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really, really difficult right now. And, and to your point, of going to a pub or anything like that now it has lost like the warmth because everything is like a mask and there's a shield and you know the you barely can hear what the server's telling you and it's true yeah and it's so frustrating on that level too you're like what like and then they're just like dude like it's fish and chips. That's the special. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is, it is the struggle. And I, I think it's made 10 times worse. I'm sure in LA you would agree, but it places like Los Angeles, London, New York, Chicago, the price point, I think mm-hmm. of, of what, of what you're getting at the average place, even, you know, dive bars, like a, a dive pub in London, the pr- price of a pint there is still going to be two and a half times what it would be somewhere outside of London. And Mm. I think at least for me personally, that's where some of the frustrations really come in because I'm just like, this is like you say, it's an, it's an investment just to go out for a meal. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but in the current situation, it's just a challenge on both sides. Like you said, because there's all these hoops that everyone has to jump through just to order fish and chips. So yeah, it's, um, it's difficult and I'm really looking forward to, seeing the other side of it. Um, and I hope that in the opposite way to how we've, you know, lost so many restaurants and, and bars that there's just an absolute boom when it's safe for there to be one. Um, cause I do, I do miss it. And, you know, I, I've spoken on it about it on previous episodes, but even when things are open in London, like the spontaneity has been completely removed. Like at, at least in a, a city as big as London, <clears throat> when, things reopen in the summer, you couldn't go anywhere without some sort of reservation. Like it just mm. wasn't you, I, you know, you just walk up to places and get completely, you know, turned away. Um, so yeah, all of the spontaneity of just, Oh, you know, do you guys want to go to the pub? Like that's just gone. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, you know, like I said, even though things did reopen for a period last year, um, it really just hasn't ever 
gotten to be what it was like before all this happened. So it'll be interesting to see how things progress as, you know, people get vaccinated and we hopefully find a way out of the situation. Do you guys have a timeline um, over in the UK in terms of like when you expect things to open up? So, right. Yeah, uh, slightly. Um, So we're the current lockdown is legally allowed to continue through the end of March. Um, Mm. But they I think after the end of March, I think they'll start lifting restrictions, but that will be, um, that will be like opening clothing stores and stuff. The, the pubs are kind of one of the last things to reopen. Um, and right now they're saying early May, which is just, wow. Yeah. Oh my Um, gosh. So I really hope that in the same way that their estimations for things when this first began were completely underestimations and you know they said we'll be in lockdown for two weeks and it turned into four months and things like that i'm hoping that now this is all overestimations and worst case scenarios and as more people um become vaccinated and you know we really we've got the elderly and the vulnerable vaccinated that those sorts of dates start to come in but at the moment it's just it's very very brutal. Just there's just there's not there's not an actual date to work towards right now, and I think mentally that's why I find the most challenging. Right. Yeah. I think that's you know that's the one thing um, often that I feel is like neglected. Where I feel I'm I'm really I'm really proud of the people that have have handled this with grace, um, mm-hmm. like this entire time. Because like you said, like the timeline that we were originally given was supposed to be two weeks and then mm-hmm. we're close to a year now. And um, it's not easy for everyone to kind of just react to something like that and be like, Oh, it's only been a year that I've been in my house and not really done anything. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the, if anything, it'll, sh- it, it shows resilience in people that in some ways like this did break a lot of people and, you know, mm-hmm. people are suffering again, very differently. Um, but I think it does show a little bit of resilience in, in terms of how uh, we're still fighting and we're still holding on to some sort of hope um, that when things resume some sort of normalcy, I hope that we don't take this, you know, for granted, you know, because yeah, absolutely. we can see how easily in the blink of an eye, like the thing that we love the most was gone, you know, mm-hmm. and. And we start to recognize that, you know, it wasn't always the drink. It was the social aspect of just being in a space with people where the idea of that just sounds so foreign, you know, of Mm -hmm. hugging a friend or, you know, taking a shot off someone's belly. I don't know what people do these (laughs) days, you know, but um, that aspect of like, and it's, you know, what's so weird about that too, just recognizing how people in different, I mean, I don't know how it is in other countries, but in the States, there's some people that are behaving as if there isn't a pandemic, you know, there's yes, people going yeah. to like under, underground parties and, you know, things of that nature. And it's a little disheartening, you know, but I, there's something, there's something that I missed more about just, you know, the bar space. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the idea of just like sitting at the bar top and, you know, for me, like, even though I've, you know, been doing this for a while now, like, I still love watching bartenders work, you know, I, yeah, I love I definitely do. I love seeing like, people take their job very seriously. And, you know, you know, there's a term called working clean, where, you know, every time you make a drink, you're, you're you clean the bar top, or you clean, like, it's like the those kind of mechanics are, you know, to the untrained eye, you know, you don't learn to appreciate until you do it yourself. And you're like, mm-hmm. man, that person's really good at their job, mm-hmm. you know? And I miss that the most too, of just like seeing people who I really admire and really respect and just watching them do what they do because I take notes. I'm like, Oh, I, I could start doing that. You know, I could yeah. really start, you know, it seems like more efficient way to do that, you know? Um, but I was going to ask you uh, something right on the tip of my tongue. Um, when things happen or when things start kind of opening up again, do you have a plan of, what you're going to do like are you going to go on a bar crawl or like what is what is your idea of like you know assimilating again to that kind of like bar culture yeah I I think a pub crawl would be great um there's there's a gin bar in Notting Hill um that my boyfriend and I went to about a year ago last January and 
it was it was well it was a saturday um but it's it's a pub downstairs and upstairs is a really nice gin bar and mm-hmm. the gin bar just wasn't that crowded and we sat at the bar and i just kind of chatted to the bartender about what i like and he was mixing me these incredible martinis so i would just love to sit at a bar like that again um and just talk especially now that i've learned a lot and can you know have an engaging conversation about booze i just think it would be a lot more fun than it even was before um yeah and just be spontaneous and just go places without having to you know book ahead of time and <laughs> are we mixing households and so, you know it's just that not right. have to think about it so much um yeah. i'm just i'm really looking forward to that but it's it, it's 100% the atmosphere like you said because like for example um today my boyfriend and i were trying to decide what to do for valentine's day and there are some restaurants in London that are doing like boxes of, you know, like tasting menus and stuff that you can have at home. Um, and they're really cool. But I was just, I said to my boyfriend, I was like, you know, it's sitting in that restaurant, you know, being served and soaking in that atmosphere that is what I'm craving. And even this food looks nice, but I'm actually happy just to cook steak ourselves because, you know, cause I, I really just want to sit in the restaurant and, and experience it. Um, and yeah. yeah, same, same for bars. Um, so that, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Totally. And it's the idea of just like, I mean, frankly, like it's the idea of being served, you know, yeah, like, it is. and you know, for me, it's the idea of being of service, you know, there's, there's something very kind of cool that I love about that. You know, it's, it's seeing again, like, you know, it's seeing people, it's not just you that's giving people joy, you know, but knowing that you helped, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it's like, you know, someone eats like a really good steak, like I didn't cook it, you know, but yeah, I sure as all recommended it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I recommended the wine that they should drink with it too. And just like seeing like a couple happy or seeing like a couple of friends happy. It's, it's so weird how much of how much bartenders give themselves um and and I'm, I'm not i won't speak for servers um i think bartending is a little bit more intimate because they're right in front of you mm-hmm. like you know and there's it's not to say that servers aren't good at their job I'm, I'm i'm only speaking on this kind of behalf but there is something that we do give a lot of ourselves to complete strangers every mm-hmm. day and for some people it's the more the more and more I talk to you like we're naturally kind of just givers in that way and yeah it's very hard for us to receive things sometimes because we're naturally a little bit more giving um and I'm always saying that for myself and I miss that part of you Mm -hmm. know working too um but anyway man it's getting really sad (laughs) (laughs) well I mean to end it on a bit of a lighter note I think we can both agree that one of the like I think one of the best outcome, most positive outcomes of the pandemic has been it's definitely exercised people's creativity. Um, your podcast, my podcast being a perfect example. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the ways that, um, like I'm sure in LA it's similar, but in London the the bottled cocktail scene is really exciting. So you know some restaurants sure. and stuff are doing some really cool bottled cocktails where you can still feel like you're, you know, someone did craft this drink for you. Um, you know, even though you're pouring it out of a bottle, it's still, um, so yeah, like loads of, you know, when even outside of the bar industry, but just how different businesses have pivoted to kind of survive during this, I find really inspiring. Um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, these sorts of situations breed creativity and that that's one thing that I've definitely found to be a huge positive in all of the crap. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. Like, yeah, spot on. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can the listeners find you and beyond balance that they can check out your awesome podcast? Oh, um, I am available on most uh, platforms. Uh, So Mm -hmm. Spotify, Apple, um, like Google has like a podcasting thing. I get added um, to ones without even realizing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. anywhere where you listen to like most major um, podcasts and um, yeah, I, I would encourage people. I mean, if people have an idea for a topic we should talk about, please reach out to me. Um, again, the idea is talking about, you know, things that we 
uh, have kind of sort of like lost the ability to talk about because, you know, some subjects are very sensitive, you know. So mm-hmm. the idea is just talking to bartenders who have that gift of gab and getting their perspective on those things, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you are a bartender that's listening to this and want to participate, please reach out. Excellent. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate you coming on. And if you're ever in London, we will have to get a beer and a shot in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Very fun. Megan, thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.